Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Design Recharge. I just wanted to tell you that today's episode is brought to you by our patrons. You can see more and get some more content delivered and do challenges with us. And just, it's a great way for you to support the show so that I can keep doing what I'm doing. And I really appreciate it for sure. You can do that at patreon.com slash Diane Gibbs and on with the show. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Design Recharge. It's episode 330 and I'm your host, Diane Gibbs, and I'm really excited to introduce you to my new friend, Mike. Michael, hey, just, I'm just in case anybody <laughs> didn't know. Super happy Mike. to be here. Thank you. I can't believe you have 330 episodes. That's crazy. That's so consistent and never wavering in your passion behind this effort. It's really, really impressive. Well, thanks. Amy's come for almost all of them. So I think that's a commitment. Like that's a friend. And I didn't know Amy before this. So we met at a conference and then she's now one of my really good friends. And it's I nice to that. spend time with people every week that I really do get to know. So that's why I like to see people where they're coming in from the chat because they are part of this for sure. And you and I share that mindset. I love that as people were dropping in, you were like, hey, this person's in this city, in this state, and in this country, and you knew all of the people jumping in. That's how I love to be in this world. I love the real connection and the, the, the authentic relationship. And so I appreciate that you know everything about your followers and your your listeners on this podcast. So well, they're, they're my friends. Just like you say, you're going to have 10,000 yeah. friends. We just added a whole, a whole bunch more today. So hopefully, yeah. so that's one of the things I love. I was so impressed. First, um, Sarah, my student who's here, she um, told yeah, me last, last summer, she was like, Diane, you have to read this book. And so I was like, oh, what book? And she's like, oh, it's Burn Your Portfolio. I was like, huh, uh -huh. I'm not sure about this one. But I was like, yeah. okay, you know. <laughs> but she loved it. And she was like, Diane, you teach a lot of the things that are in here. So that made me feel a little uh, bit better. Good. But I also think, think it's good that um, I'm always trying to improve as a teacher. I teach at the college level. Um, and I also think I can learn from my students just as much as they can learn from me. And I think as yeah. a teachable spirit, right? Yeah. Not not only are you an author, but you didn't start out. You started as a designer. So I kind of mm -hmm. want you to give a little bit of your story, your backstory of okay. where you started, because I love this this beginning story. And then okay. kind of before you transition to being like a full time author, coach, mentor, speaker. Okay. So my background, I went to college at Indiana University. I, I went in there and I started to go into the business school like all my friends and I just was failing, literally failing my classes. And my parents encouraged me to do what I love, the money will follow. And this was, became one of my early mantras in my career. So I decided, okay, I'm gonna go into design school and study studio art they didn't even have a graphic design program that's ages me but that was the the truth in fact it was kind of called commercial art back then it was pre called graphic design so i went to the art school at indiana university and got great grades and loved my classes and stopped mentally caring about the idea that oh i've got a be a business major or a doctor or something to earn a lot of money in my life. I thought I'm just going to do what I love and let money be a byproduct. I still believe in that now. And that's how I run my life now. So I graduate 
and I've got my student portfolio and I'm looking for jobs and I just didn't get any job offers until a month or two months later. And this was a miserable time because I felt like such a failure. I just have a college degree and no job. I got a job at Alpha Graphics, the copy store. And um, that was humiliating, but it was $9 an hour in 1996 or something like that. I mean, it's that's what I made too, nine dollars an hour, but not at a copy store. This guy was fleecing me for everything, but I, it was really—I only worked there for three months because of the nine dollars. That was the it same. Was I was six six months, and you know, today you can make fifteen bucks an hour working it in an Outburger, and uh, so it was really—it was a low wage for a college grad. But I had to start somewhere, and I stayed there for six months, and then I got hired away from one of the agencies that I, well, it wasn't an agency, it was a guy and, and his, in his basement office. And uh, I got hired by him, but I interviewed there six months earlier and didn't get a job. And he called and said, hey, my one right-hand person isn't here anymore. Can you come and be my production monkey? So that's what I did. He didn't phrase it that way, but that's the way that uh, I view it now in retrospect. And so I, I stayed there for six months and then my wife and I moved to Arizona and I kind of just bounced around a couple jobs early on. Uh, my second job there, I was promoted to be an art director, creative director. The tech boom was happening. So everybody's throwing stupid money at unprofitable.com companies. And uh, the company that I was working at got a bunch of VC money they flushed it all down the toilet and, you know, wasted it. And then every, we, they laid everybody off. And during this time, I, it was scary to me because I had no savings or anything. I ended up starting to apply for jobs on monster.com. And I ended up landing a job as a creative director at Fox Studios in LA. So I moved from Phoenix to LA and had that job as as a creative director there. And I thought, this is going to be it. I'm here with a multi-billion dollar company. I'm going to be here for the next 20 years. Perfect. And then all of a sudden, 9-11 happened and people started freaking out about the economy. Fox sold our divisions to Disney. Disney started dismantling our team over the course of a year and a half until I was finally laid off with the last six people from, from our group. And uh, that's when I started freelancing and it, my early clients were relationships from Fox. They were marketing directors that I had relationships with that were landing a job at Disney or at Sony at a video game company. And they started sending me freelance work and I was busy. And we moved from LA to Salt Lake City where I live now, kept freelancing till it became 80 hour weeks, hired my first employee on my wife's forcing me to do that because I was afraid to to grow. I didn't know what I was doing. So she forced me to hire my first person. A year later, I have five employees. A year after that, I have 12 employees. And it just starts just growing and becoming this agency. About three years into it, I decided I went from being a scared freelancer to being an ambitious entrepreneur. I, I went from being accidentally in business to being on purpose in business to thinking, all right, this isn't just like me trying to get an, an, feed my family. This is now something that I have here. This is the embryo of something that I can create that could be great. 
and it changed everything on the way that I viewed my business. So, so I started getting really, really ambitious um, and drove my company to growth and expansion of clients and things. And then I ended up selling it 13 years into it. So I started in 2002, sold my agency in 2015. Uh, and then I worked at the agency that I sold to for a couple of years, migrating clients and improving their systems and things during the remainder of my buyout. And then I ended up leaving there at the start of 2018 to pursue this passion of content creation, writing more books, creating courses, speaking engagements, mentoring creatives. And that's really where my heart is and has been for a lot of years. And I'm so grateful to be able to spend most of my energy in life on that right now. But I think it's so ex exciting and inspiring that even when you were an agency owner, you realize, or even, I don't know when the idea came for burn yeah. my portfolio or burn your yeah. portfolio. Yeah. Um, but I thought that's also, you're reaching back and helping people that with advice that you didn't get because again, yeah. maybe you didn't feel as confident or you were like, why can't I land this? And so you didn't want somebody to feel that way. So you have a really yeah. high empathy meter and then you yeah. end up doing the same thing because you know, business owners that are designers or creatives also don't have those skills and that knowledge. And you realize it's just, it's just something that they need to try and yeah. um, practice and then they will get better at it. Right. Oh, totally. It's totally true. I, um, I'll tell you where the idea for that book came from. Do you want to hear that story yeah. really quickly? Okay. So I, in 2007, so I was five years into my agency life. I got asked to speak at, this was my first big lecture opportunity. And I got asked to speak at a AIGA conference in Nashville. It was called the think tank conference. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, uh, they invited me to speak and I was like, okay, what am I going to speak on? And they had like, um, I don't remember the one guy's name, but they had, uh, Armin Veet in coming and they had Rich Roach from house industries coming. And these were kind of design thinker people. And I was like five years into my agency and I, I'm a good designer, but I'm not in Paul Rand, you know, I'm not going to set some trend. I'm not even David Carson and just crash type style. I'm, I'm a good designer, but I'm not going to set trends. And so I thought, I don't want to speak on design because I had massive imposter syndrome about that. Mm -hmm. So I decided to speak on the stuff they don't teach you in design school, but should, because I felt like, you know what, what's my sweet spot? It's relationship building. It's mm -hmm being proactive, it's systems and understanding how to see a problem in my business and fill it. And so I decided to talk about those types of things in my lecture. And everybody else in the conference talked about design stuff and they're showing their work and things. And my slides were like black screen with white text on it and not nothing really fancy. And, but I, after the lecture, I had just a massive response of positive things saying, oh my gosh, this was so helpful to me. One person said, can I take those chapter titles? Cause they're all fun titles that are in burn your portfolio now. And I want to make them into posters and hang them in my office. And I was like, oh man, I just gave away my, my intellectual property for free. And I don't even have it copyrighted myself. And now somebody wants me to send my deck so that they can make posters. I should be making posters. That's what I, th so that was thought number one. Thought number two is after the conference, 
Rich Roach had his beautiful house industries book with all of this typography design and everything in it. And people were bringing their copy of his book up there and having him sign it. And I was standing next to him and somebody had him sign the book. And then they looked at me and they pulled out a piece of paper and they said, here you go. Will you sign this? And that was the moment where I was like, oh, I'm such a loser. I should have a book for them to sign. So that was motivation number two that I should have something for somebody to sign. And then the final uh, motivation was that somebody in that conference who was in my shoes a few years later than me, they were working out of their basement. They were slammed with tons of work. They were afraid to hire. And they reached out to me and said, can you be my mentor? And I was so touched by that. I said, totally. I won't even charge you anything. We can start doing weekly phone calls. And I worked with her over, I mean, I still, I'm still great friends with her now, but I watched her agency grow from her in her basement to seven or 10 employees or something. She owns her studio space. It's just, she's done amazing things. And it's been so gratifying to me to see that growth. So anyway, Burn Your Portfolio came out of those initial things. This, I didn't have a book to autograph. Somebody wanted to make my, my lecture into posters and somebody asked me to mentor them. I was like, okay, maybe I have something here from a content standpoint that will be valuable to other people. So I started writing my book on the plane on the way home from, from that lecture. I, I love that. But what I also love is that you were able to be bold and go to that conference with these other big names and say, I don't maybe do like them. So what can I offer? And it's, I think knowing what your superpower is or what your sweet spot is and being able to be okay with that. I think sometimes, um, I know that my, one of mine is relationships as well. And so I feel like it's hard. I think sometimes I felt like I didn't necessarily fit in with all those other, right? Well, I don't know how this skill is going to be applicable. And I think when you start, when you started working with clients and you started seeing that some of these other skills, this organization skill or these other things that really were able to kind of look at the problem in a different way, that really that, that was a huge advantage and other people didn't have it, right? It was huge. Yeah. Relationships are so critical in business. They, People are going to buy you for for one of two reasons. Reason number one that they'll buy you is because of your reputation. Mm -hmm. If you're Paul Rand, okay, let's use, he's he's passed away, but let's use Michael Beirut. Somebody will buy a million dollar logo from Michael Beirut because Michael Beirut designed it. So they're buying reputation. Mm -hmm. He has that. If you don't have reputation, the only reason they're going to buy from you, okay, it's not the only reason, but the other reason that they'll buy from you is relationship. Hmm. That's the other reason. If you have a personal relationship with them where they trust you, they feel like they can text you on a Saturday night, that they feel this connection, they're going to trust you to do work for them. So Hmm. that relationship is so critical. And I guess the other reason that people will buy from you is for price, but nobody should be trying to play in that market. If you're, if you're trying to be the low cost price and that's why they're going to buy from you, you're looking at a volume style. So focus on one of two things. You, you either have to build relationships with, with people to get clients or you have to build a reputation. Now, the reputation comes over years and years of time. Very few people are graduating from school with reputation that will allow them to get work without even looking for it. But relationships, that's something that everybody 
can have control over. Make relationships with your co-students, with your teachers, with your co-workers, with your clients, build those into real relationships. And that to me, you mentioned a superpower, that to me was what made my agency grow. I was good at that. And other people who may have had reputation weren't, and we would win a lot of jobs because of the relationship, not necessarily the reputation. The reputation came about 10 years into it. We started getting, we got a big project from Kraft Foods based on them finding us. We got a big project from Pepsi based on them finding us. But it was 10 years into an agency and awards and getting your name out there before those things started to just show up. One of the things that we talked about last week when we did our test was that you said that um, and we talked about servant leadership. I know we're skipping ahead, but I got to yeah, ask. It's okay. we, yeah. um, but you had said, if my client needed me to clean their toilet, I would have yeah. done it because that was what they needed. And I wanted to be that kind of server. And that yeah. to me is when you're talking about building real relationships, and I think this would be a great takeaway from today for people is, yeah. you know, what does that really look like? So Mike, every time I Instagram message you, DM you, yeah. You always message me back and you made Sarah's day the other day. And I already told you this, but she had won a Addy, a best yeah, in show, awesome. right? Yeah, yeah. But that one, you remembered her and yeah. the one you caught the others that you commented, it yeah. made her day. And I think that that is, that's where a real relationship starts is yeah. being not just that she was memorable because she is, yeah. she's awesome, yeah, she's but it's great. that you remembered. And it's, yeah. it, you told me something the other day, you said, you want to wish everybody uh, your all your friends on Facebook when it's their birthday, you want to make sure that you are wishing them a birth, their happy birthday. You know, yeah. like if that to me, could you explain what how you define real relationship? So for me, I genuinely care about these people, and and sometimes people are surprised by that because they have two hundred thousand or two hundred followers on Instagram and I have one hundred and fourteen thousand followers and they message me and they're like I can't believe I'm chatting with you and I'm sitting there thinking you're in Georgia in Europe and I can't believe I'm chatting with you let's be friends this is how I feel I'm like I do I do coaching sessions I have people all over the world I get on these coaching sessions and I'm so grateful mm -hmm. to have friends in Israel and Australia and the UK and all over Europe. I was texting with somebody from Finland yesterday. He's in Finland. And, you know, for me, I, I genuinely love those types of relationships. So I think the perspective to get to your question is I don't esteem myself as any better than anybody else. Yeah, I've had a great career. I've done work for all the greatest clients that I ever would have dreamed of working for. I, I've had those things, but it doesn't, that doesn't define me. That doesn't, that's just my life story. But other people have an amazing life story. It may not be the same, but it's an amazing life story. I've talked to people who, I mean, when I was in uh, Sweden, I did a workshop in Sweden and one of the guys was, a Syrian refugee and he was now going to school in Sweden and just got citizenship in the first country ever that he had ever had been a citizen of. So now he finally had identification and a passport and things because he, I think he was like originally from Palestine and they left Palestine, went to Syria and then they left Syria, but he didn't have any, any passport or anything and so, man, I was like so fascinated by this story. And it may not be the 
entrepreneur story. It was just his story, but I think everybody has a really interesting life story to share. And I love making those connections with people and genuinely being interested. It's not, I'm not faking anything. I'm like, I really am interested. I'm so glad you and I are friends. We, we talked for an hour just on the prep call and we could go for six hours today if we, if we wanted to. So that I love, you know, I love making those connections and I look forward to 10 years from now seeing where all these connections and these relationships are. I want to go places and have friends in every city in all the world. That's, that's the dream that I have. Yeah, I think that that's a, you are going to get there for sure. I think you're going to blow 10,000 friends out of the the way. Thank thank goodness Facebook gives you, this is so-and-so's birthday today. You know, I know I I have to be better about Facebook. I used to be (laughs) so good on Facebook, but now all my time is in Instagram. So I do pay attention. Like somebody in, in one of my friends in Russia had a birthday today and she posted on her thing that it was her birthday. So I sent her a message. I got to get back into the Facebook flow of, Happy birthdays on Facebook. Well, I think you're doing great. I think that um, it's good to, uh, but maybe, so sometimes I feel like we get to that place. You're like, oh, I got to keep doing this, but maybe things are shifting, you know, who knows? You talked about, you you weren't like that setter of trends, but Mike, I really feel like you set the trend on the decks in the Instagram Mm -hmm. carousels. You were the first person I knew that was doing that. And then Tom from Design Cuts, he took off and Chris took, I mean, Mario does it. I mean, a lot of people, because I think it's a good way for us to reach our different audiences and our different clients, right? Um, And it's especially when you're, I know people have been doing this and they took off from from you because we need Mm -hmm. these bite-sized chunks. All right, Mm -hmm. so- yeah. I got to get into the writing. So how right. do you, you run an agency. When do you mm-hmm. start? You, you obviously started writing on the plane back. That was 2007, yeah. I yeah. guess. Mm-hmm. So how you have kids. I know you have a yeah. wife. How do you do? How do you manage? When did you write? It was vacations and mm-hmm. airplanes. It, and I have memories. We used to do. Uh, so I read the book, um, the four hour work week, Tim Ferriss. Love that book. But I was like, well, I got kids in school. I can't go move to Brazil and do work for my clients in Brazil. It was, it was unrealistic for me to follow some of the, the things in that book. But one of the things I did think when I read it, I was like, why am I going on one week vacations like every other person who has vacation time does in the world? So I was like, you know what? Our kids are little. Let's go on three week vacations to Kauai, which is our favorite place. And we started doing three-week trips. We've done that 13 times in our lives. We, we raised our kids there. It's our family's special place. We know the North Shore of that island like the back of our hand. It's an 11-mile stretch. We know every little nook and cranny of that place because of all these trips. But I have so many memories from a decade plus ago of my whole family sleeping and me waking up because of the time change. I'm waking up at like 5 a.m. And I was like, okay, I'll bust out my computer and I just start writing chapters of my book. So I wrote a ton of my book in those moments. It was those off moments when everybody else is sleeping or watching TV or whatever. I was, you know, mm-hmm. writing. My wife makes the joke, you know, from um, Hamilton musical 
uh, it's when his wife is like, why do you write? Like you're running out of time, you know, that, that's the line. So whenever I get into this mode of, okay, now I'm going to do this. Now I'm going to do this. She'll sing that jingle because that's the, that's her perception of me in this hamster wheel, just going and going and going. Right. Well, yeah. but you've been successful at it. You've written two books, uh -huh. The Psychology of Pricing, Graphic Design. Graphic Design Pricing, yeah. yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so what's the, what's the deal with the yellow and black? I know that wasn't on my questions, but you said you were open to any questions. Oh, yeah. Any question. Okay. So the yellow and black comes from uh, back in, in like 2001 or something. I was working at Fox and my best buddy in LA was working at abc.com and abc.com had hired Pittard and Sullivan mm -hmm. to do, it was an agency that was kind of big name. And then all of a sudden they shut down when the recession hit. I don't know the story on that, but they hired Pittard and Sullivan to do a rebrand of abc.com and it was yellow and black with black and white photos. And I just was, I fell in love with that style back then. And I started to play with it when I, started my agency and I used the actual yellow that was the Fox kids yellow that we used at Fox. It was FFCC 00 hex color. And so I started using that yellow for my agency because I loved that yellow. And then it was my agency brand color. So when Burn Your Portfolio came out, I thought, okay, what, what is my style going to be for the book? I might as well make it tied to my agency. So I use the same palette. Now, honestly, I'm so stuck with it that there's nothing I can't get out of it. It's been 20 years now almost of, of using this color palette for my brand. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of stuck with it. Well, that's okay. That's good. Yeah. At least, at least you good. know, and I'm yeah. glad you have that hex code memorized. I do. Well, I, I changed it because <laughs> of this color mark thing that came out. Uh, color mark because somebody snagged FFCC00. So I was like, okay, which one is it going to be? And so I did FFC900 is my... Uh, what did you call uh, it? Uh, more yellow. <laughs> How good is that? Right? That's good. No, I like that. That's good. Yeah. If you don't know, there's a website and you can name a color. So yeah. it's really cool called Color Mark. I think if you Google it and it's like a dollar to yeah. name it. Yeah. They give you a lot of people, if, if they register a color, they get five free codes to send out. So uh, one person has to pay and then other people, then they, five can, people can get it free. You can divvy up that you dollar, could. right? 20 cents then, each. <laughs> <laughs> then yeah. you can, it, look, I'll just do it and I'll give five people. It's fine. It's just a yeah. dollar. Um, all right. So one of the things from running an agency, maybe this will be a semi fast question, probably not, but what did you learn from running an agency? You, you said when you were seeing a client, you were able to kind of go in and help them organize their systems because this mm -hmm. seems again like one of maybe you always did this as a kid or it was just something you could see yeah i i'm i'm systematic in mindset i am i'm a checklist minded person i am a waterfall production process minded person it's the step one step two step three and i've all i ran my agency that way uh, some of that came out of reading the e-myth michael gerber book so so good but one of the quotes in that book is that systems run the business and people run the systems and i took that to home to heart when i had my first few employees i thought okay if i want them to perform the way that i do if i want the client experience to be the same as it is with me I need to document exactly how that client experience is and then train my 
employees to do it the exact same way so that whether the client's working with me or working with my employee, the experience is the same. So I started looking at my business that way early on. And then when I decided to write Burn Your Portfolio in 2007, every single experience, every single day became a possible chapter in the book. I started to perceive the good and the bad as an opportunity to learn, to turn it into some kind of structure so that other people can either avoid the bad or replicate the good that was happening in my agency. So the book just started growing and growing and growing over time because anytime something would happen, I would be like, oh, that's, that might be a good chapter. And I'd throw it into Evernote as just like a little one-liner and then maybe a sentence or two idea. And then when I would be on vacations, I would take the idea and turn it into five paragraphs that ended up in the book. So that's the mindset. I think from, from one of my biggest takeaways from running my agency and just from my career in general is you have to look at everything that happens as an opportunity to learn and progress. Mm -hmm. That, I believe, is one of the main purposes of us in life. You have, there's a chapter in Burn Your Portfolio that you're either, there are two types of grandpas. One is the grumpy old grandpa who sits on the front porch and yells at the neighbor kids. And the other one is the sage wise grandpa who knows the answer to everything. The one who the grandkids go to when they're stuck in life. And he's like, let me tell you, son, what, what you should do. And I was like, you know what? And I had those two types of grandpas. My wife's grandpa was the sage wise grandpa. And my, my grandpa or one of my grandpas that I knew well was kind of grumpy, grumpy inner city guy. And so I could see that contrast. And so for me, I was like, how am I going to become the sage grandpa in life? Well, the sage grandpa learns from experience. The sage grandpa doesn't look at life as this, that I'm a victim of all the crap that's happening in the world, that I'm going to, you know, I'm going to just react. The sage grandpa is the one who has through experience turned it into wisdom and maturity. And that's what I always strive to do. So in life and in my agency, that was my perspective. I've got to learn from what's happening and turn it into lessons that I can share to help other people, whether it's only my grandkids sometime in 10, 15, 20 years, or maybe it's to a lot of people like I do now on Instagram and coaching sessions and speaking things. So. so to me, that's a beautiful thing, but you've both books are super helpful. They're not, burn your portfolio is not just for a student. It's great mm -hmm. for a student, but it's great for somebody who's just wants to pivot, right? Yeah. Like, oh yeah. It, uh, at any time, if you want to do something different, this is a great book, but also for the entrepreneurs, the people who are putting yeah. that, that pricing book is incredibly, um, when I saw you speak, it was so, it just makes sense. You made, it's like, I don't know. It was like butter just yeah, flowed thanks. out of you. <laughs> Thank you. So when you're pivoting, it sounds like when you would, when you would come across something that would be maybe a failure or something didn't work, you didn't view it as the end all. I'm not ever going to ride my bike again. You just yeah. would be like, Oh, okay. Well on that road, I need to not ride this bike right now. Yeah. I need to ride a different bike or I need to yeah. do something different. You didn't take it as I'm never going to do this 
again, which I think is really important. I'm way too competitive for that and mostly competitive with myself. I, I am, I'm just, I, and that was kind of born in me, but, and I've, I've nurtured it to grow sometimes into this uncontrollable way. But I'm like, if I'm going to climb that mountain, nobody's going to stop me from climbing that mountain. Just either stay behind, walk by my side or get out of the way because I'm going up the mountain. And that's the way that I've been in life. So that charge has always been part of, part of that. And I think most entrepreneurs who achieve anything or most people who achieve anything great in life have that. You can't not. The trick is balancing it so that you don't destroy everything else in your life with that passion. And you see people who have, you know, a lot of these mega entrepreneurs have really struggled in other facets of their life because they never found enough balance between that drive and ambition and some of the, the most important things in life, like their own families, for example. For sure. So again, going back to that relationship, but it's also, so I know you've talked about your anxiety. You're really open about that. So yeah. in your head, because some, sometimes I feel like we're our own worst enemy, but when, when you're at the copy shop, right, and yeah. you couldn't get a job, there's something in you that said, I can do better or I can learn to do better. And especially I'd made two D's in college and they were in two business classes. And my dad, <laughs> let me drop that business major after those. Hey, there you uh, go. Shit yeah, story. Accounting, <laughs> accounting and economics. Yeah. <laughs> Total snoozers to me. Yeah. But um, when you, when you are in that and uh, to some extent, it feels like you are a failure in some ways, but you just knew that what well, wasn't your purpose. And so you knew yeah. something that your parents didn't necessarily know. You couldn't maybe place words on it, but you, you also knew you were not that you're better than cop the copy shop, but you had bigger dreams and you knew you yeah. wanted to go further. You, this was not going to be enough. Even you thought Fox was going to be enough. Right. Yeah. But, but then the, uh, I, I believe in God. So it was like, whatever, yeah. right. Whatever you believe it, yeah. he, um, that door closed. And, yeah. um, sometimes I feel like we are forced out. I feel like God has forced me out of certain things because I've gotten too comfortable because he had something more, um, bigger in mind for story what I was of my life. Exact same mindset, exact same belief. I, I see that door close at Fox and I was scared to death thinking, oh no, I'm, and I'm literally, I'm praying to get another job. I'm applying at places. I had an interview for a design director job at Mazda. And I was like, oh, I'm perfect for this. A creative director job at NBC. And I was like, I'm a creative director at Fox. This is just a lateral move. Just give me the job. I can do this job. And I didn't get any of them. And I'm feeling worse and worse and worse, but I'm getting freelance work and I'm feeding my family, and I had no idea then that the path for me was something much greater than what I envisioned for myself. I just wanted a job, and if I would have just gotten a job at Mazda, I never would have gone and climbed the mountains I've climbed in my career. I would have just, I'd still be there. So I look, I look at that, and I believe that in life, that we have to whether it's a belief in God or karma or the universe and a path or however our belief system is, we have to just get in the current sometimes and let, let ourselves get floating down the river 
and not overthink it so much. And I've gotten a lot better at this in my older years. I guess I'm getting some sage wisdom, but I can see it better now than I did then because going back 20 years, I was just scared to death. Now when something challenging happens, I look at it and say, okay, what, what am I learning from this? Am I in the right river? Am I going on the right flow? Is this the right path for me? And you can, you can, you can kind of shift your mindset so that it's not as scary. You, most of these things that happen to us, these challenging things are not going to kill us. You're not going to go, you're not going to go hungry. You're not going to go homeless. It's rare. It's not, that's not what happens to most people. We feel like that's what, what, what it is. You can't get your job. It's over. I'm my worst case scenario is I'm living in the alley with my kids. It's so unlikely that that's actually what happens to most people. Uh, so we go to these extremes, but instead we should just say, okay, this is a challenge. What am I learning from it? And then how do I pivot to keep myself going in the flow where my career is going? Well, and I also think a lot of it has to do with our mindset. And so what we think we become, I think Emerson said that, um, you know, if you think it, you will, whatever it is, you will yeah. become it. And I think J- James Allen, as a man thinketh, it's the, the little micro book. Yeah. Right. So it, to me, it's like one of those things that you have to, and if you do, I also suffer from anxiety and depression. And so it's yeah. like, golly, you know, if, if it can weigh you down, it can really weigh you down, but it can also yeah. lift you up. But if, if I, my thoughts are really important. Brene Brown's one of my favorite authors. Awesome. And she, she definitely has a way of, has gotten in my head and started letting my cheerleader come out more. So yeah. I want to talk about this. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, you, you had mentioned anxiety and that was one of the things you led into, but I didn't touch on that very much. Do you want to talk about that more or? Yeah. yeah so my, for me, my anxiety, I've always operated at a high stress level. I'm, I'm an intense person. And in, if you follow me on Instagram, my, the quantity of posts and shares and things, I'm, I'm like a machine on that stuff because I'm a dog with a bone. And if I have this bone, I'm going to chew this bone until it's gone. And so that's the way I've operated in just this intensity level. And that's, if it wasn't anxiety before, it's developed into that over time. And, and running my agency in the intensity level that I ran that at for so many years, it's just, kind, I've kind of created habitual anxiety in my life that I don't feel comfortable relaxing. I can, I last 15 or 20 minutes and then I want to be going and chewing on my bone again. I can't relax my I've got a jiggy leg you know my bouncy leg and sometimes even when I'm on a podcast thing like this and I I look at the screen and I'm like why is that bouncing oh yeah my leg is going again you know so I that's how I am and and uh I've had to learn how to manage that during my agency years it was just going to the gym I was pounding weights all the time and just in the morning and then I was getting a black belt in karate after work and going to karate classes and things and it was just always just going 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 Now I don't do all those things. I still work out, but I don't do all those things to that level of intensity, but I'm in this habitual stress level or a habitual anxiety level that I'm always having to work on trying to just turn it down a notch, just relax a little bit, you know? Yoga is really painful for me. So yoga is? 
Yeah. So somebody told it, me I should be doing yoga when I was talking about this one time. So, <laughs> so my friend told me to do Tai Chi because it's moving, but uh, it's yeah. still, you can do it fast. You could do the whole thing in like five minutes, but you're supposed uh, to do it slowly, right? And the slower you do it, the better. Mm. But I need to keep moving. So I'm very similar to you. So, yes. so Frances has a question. And I want to get her question. Awesome. Um, how do you steward a good relationship when a client is being really difficult, i.e., over art directing? Also, how do you foster new relationships when you're an in-house designer? Uh, so the first thing about clients is that I'm big on relationships. So this is going to sound contrary to what I've already talked about, but some people aren't the right people to have a relationship with. And so you do kind of have to weigh and say, you know what, this is, if this client is not a good fit for me, this is a one and done project and I'm just going to get the project done and I'm going to move on. I'm not going to burn the bridge, but I'm not going to invest my energy into fostering a relationship that's actually detrimental to my life. I'm a big fan of looking at who you're spending time with and if they're not uplifting and supporting and mentally healthy for you, you need to change your circle of, of people you're around. And I, I, I'm just, I try and avoid negativity and things. And uh, so that's something, it's not always every client. And then as far as fostering new relationships when you're in-house designer, man, that's easy. For me, mentally, it's, it's reach, sit by whoever you're sitting next to and say, hey, can we go get, go to lunch today? You want to go to lunch? And you go to lunch with somebody three times and all of a sudden you're, you guys are starting to become friends. Uh, take your headphones off and talk a little while you work. Don't sit there and just go into your silo. Uh, just, it's just a little bit about being a little outgoing and just creating real relationships. And you don't do it for any reason other than just wanting this human connection, which I think is one of the most valuable things we can have in this world is this human to human connection. Absolutely. I totally agree. So Rachel said she started doing yoga. She thought it was woo-woo, but it really does help. So maybe yeah. listen to me. Try it. Rachel says, just try it. She just can't right. get in this. She's slow. intense too. So she, she knows. So she is. Yeah, so so this, this kind of goes in. You met Rachel through Design yeah, XL, which is awesome. a new conference in Pensacola. Yeah. And if everybody should come next year, it's in. They should. Fall. I love those people. Well, so they love great. you. And it's so Rachel- so Rachel and I are friends and she was like, I, I was like, wow, his talk was really good. And she's like, let me tell you something. He is amazing, but it's not because he's so smart and nice or whatever. It's because when he got here, he got here early and then he asked if he could help like put tables together or yeah. move chairs. <laughs> and to me, that is the epitome of a servant leader, somebody who's leading through service. Right. Yeah. So can you, to me, that was, a, that was like, oh my goodness, I got to be friends with this guy if he's yeah. doing this. Cause I also think that it's really important. And then you said you'd clean somebody's toilet. And I really think that if they yeah. really needed it, you would do it. And it's the same. I yeah. really believe in that as well. If my kids yeah. need something, I'll do it. If a client needs something, I'll do it. And I think it's a good way. I'm not asking for anything from it. I'm just, this yeah. is a good way to kind of live. And I believe that yeah. you would do this as well, that you weren't yeah. asking anything special from Rachel. You were no. just like, Hey, I see you have a need. Can I, can I help you? Right. Yeah. So have you always been like that? What number kid are you? I'm number two number out, of, two of, out of five boys. Oh, oh no, cool. no 
<laughs> no sisters. So I can say that I probably was not this way growing up because it was Lord of the Flies for me growing up. We were, it was our own uh, child government and it was the, the survival of the fittest, uh, alpha male environment. That's, that's what it was for me growing up. So I think that servant leadership wasn't something in my upbringing uh, because we were just, it was fighting all the time and just boy stuff, you know? Uh, but I don't know, I developed this. I, I just love that. I, I, I've set up a lot of tables and moved a lot of chairs in my life and painted a lot of walls. And I'm a fan of the labor of it. I think I, I did that in Pensacola because I honestly, I was like, they got a lot of work to do here and yeah, they have a whole bunch of people, but they gave me a t-shirt. I put on my design XL t-shirt and I showed up to go and help set up. And I loved it because I made good friends during that time. I spent most of the day with Bree following her around and setting up chairs and whatever chaos she was doing. And I loved that. And we became good friends as, as part of that. And so sometimes when you shovel the manure with people, you build the best relationships with them. You look at these war buddy people who come back from having served a, a term in Afghanistan or whatever, and these are their brothers forever, or the people mm -hmm. who go through basic training together, they're their brothers forever. And that's the kind of thing that you can, if you're looking, if you're interested in real connection with people, go and do some hard work together and you will connect on a deeper level than just sipping on coffee. Absolutely. Rachel says, I'm so glad you came to shovel manure with us. I know. It's so good. I can't wait till next time. <laughs> Get well, twice the manure next time. That's right. <laughs> so I also, so I am the volunteer coordinator at Creative South, which is a conference in Georgia. And I'm actually looking for volunteers, people. So you can email me at diane at creativesouth.com. Good plug. It's a cheaper, <laughs> cheaper ticket too. But to me, it has been so great, especially for introverts. So if you I, I like to have a purpose. And I think this is one of the things I feel like you, from, from the outside looking in at what you've been able to do, I see that you found purpose. You found purpose as uh, when you were the, the leader and you were mm -hmm. able to help people that were even not too far out of school yourself, not yeah. too long running your own business. Yeah. You still reach back and help. And then now the purpose is still, you're still a reacher. You're still helping lifting other people up. Yeah. yeah. So, one thing when you volunteer or whatever, I, I was, went to Bend and I did a workshop and I was like, can I help? And they were like, uh, I don't know. I, they let me, yeah. I was like, well, I can open doors, you know? Yeah. So it was cold one morning and I just opened doors for people. And I think yeah. that that is a beautiful way that I'm just a normal person and you're just yeah. a normal person. Yeah. But I told I, my friend Claire, I meet with before I had met with you last week and I was super nervous to talk to you. Oh, crazy. I know, crazy, but it I, crazy. but I think that you you are just normal. You're and yeah. you're excited to, you know what I mean? Like I just yeah. think that it's really good. It's it's not even manure. Sometimes it's like, wow, this is where this is where the real juicy, awesome people are who really mm -hmm. are passionate about whatever the industry is. If they're passionate about design, that they're willing to give so much of their time. So these are the people to rub shoulders with, not because you want anything. It's just because yeah. you want to give back. And I think it's really important that we love on these people because they're making something amazing 
happen. And I also think it's great. I am an extrovert, but it's great yeah. for introverts because then you have a purpose. You yeah. know where the bathrooms are or you know where the yeah. next workshop <laughs> is and yeah. you can help people. And then people see you as somebody to go back to and a answer. And then you can build real relationships again because yeah. you're not just asking about the weather you have a reason to go talk to somebody. Yeah. One of my greatest employees ever, his name's Nate. Uh, everybody loved Nate. And he, we, we hired him because his, he was one of my first hires. And his wife called me, saw my job posting. His wife called me because he was roofing houses and said, my husband kind of knows a little Photoshop. Can, can he interview for your job? And I had so many needs. I was like, totally, have him come. Well, Nate was the best, most reliable worker of all. When you would drive to the office with a trunk full of soda cans for the fridge to stock the fridge, you'd be sitting there thinking, I sure hope Nate is here because he's going to be the one who helps carry all this stuff in. He was always the first up, the first one to, to jump in on any of the hard things. We used to have a tradition when my agency was smaller that we would go to lunch with all everybody and the new employee. And we would all talk about what was the hardest job you ever had in your life. And nobody ever beat Nate's story because Nate's story was that he worked at a dog jerky plant where they, he would put on a, like a rubber suit and then you go into the freezer room and they have a giant blender in there and then they have frozen meat byproducts that they stick into the blender all day. And he said, you go in and everything would be frozen, but over the day, while you're working, it warms up because of your body heat and everything moving and stuff. And so you would just get, it was just dripping blood everywhere and things, and you'd go home and you'd just smell like it because it would go through the rubber. And, he, and that was his hardest job he ever did. And you can't, you can't beat a job like that. That's the worst job ever. Dog jerky with meat byproducts in a rubber suit. It's awful. But it that kind of experience turned him into this amazing servant where carrying in a bunch of cans of soda was no big deal. Putting a chair together, no big deal. Painting a wall, no big deal. He had such a servant mindset because he knew what crap work really was. And carrying in a bunch of cans of soda wasn't crap work. It wasn't below him. He had already been way below that. And I think that that's some of my mindset in in that too, is that I don't ever want to forget that I used to work at Walmart when I was in high school and plunging toilets there. I don't want to forget that I worked at Arby's in college and I know what it's like to, to clean public restrooms and to do some of the rough stuff in, in this world or shovel. I, I roofed houses. I did a, I've detasseled corn for anybody 40 years or older and they lived in Indiana. Everybody did that for $3 an hour. I did that. So anyway, I think that there's there's something to that. Sometimes we got to work a crappy job to appreciate the things that the the not crappy jobs that we get to do in this world. Right, that's part of the blessing, right? That yeah. that at some point you weren't doing this and now you're thankful that you're not, but it's good that we yeah. have a memory that we can remember to do this. So yeah. what would you tell somebody if they were like, "Hey, this sounds kind of good. This being more relational, having real hmm. authentic relationships, putting the time in." Yeah. Also uh, maybe serving people around you, even at, at work, even if you're not the boss, right? Because yeah. Nate wasn't the oh, boss, yeah. but he was no. happy to to serve. So yeah. so what would be like a couple first steps or one step that people could do today to start 
serving the people around them or building stronger relationships. I like it. Okay. So step one, serving somebody who owns a business, especially a small business, what you feel like a lot of the times is that you have, you're in a boat and it's your boat and you're, and it's leaking. And your job as the business owner is to just stick your fingers in all the holes you can to keep the boat from leaking. And that's your job every day. You go home, you go to work to try and keep the boat from sinking. That's how I felt for 13 years. Back to the anxiety disorder idea. That mindset, it's real though. And uh, the people that I loved the most, the Nates of my agency, would look for holes in the boat and stick their fingers in them. And I loved that. And so from a servant standpoint, look around. And if there's something that needs to be done, that's a hole in the boat, go stick your finger in it. Go do something. Uh, I love the movie The Intern, Robert De Niro. Did you see that movie? Yes, where he's blind or something? No, no. Robert De Niro oh. is the senior citizen who gets hired into um, uh, the chick who played Catwoman in that just dated me from the eighties because I, 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 I know who you're talking about, so, um, but yeah. I can't think of what her name is. Anyway, so uh, she's the entrepreneur millennial, and he's working at her dot com as a okay. senior an intern. Anyway, one of the things in there is that they had this table that was all the junk table in the middle of the office, and she was frustrated by about it. And he came in one morning at seven a.m. and cleaned it all off and. It was the greatest thing that ever happened in that day to her. She was so happy about that. It was that kind of mindset. It's looking around for the junk table and just going and cleaning the junk table because yeah. there, that's a hole in the boat that, that somebody needs to put their finger in. And the, that, from a servant standpoint, that's the, the ideal thing. Don't wait to be asked. Look for the hole and fix it yourself. And don't ask for any kind of approbation for it. Just right. Yep. Don't do it. do it because you want to be praised or get yeah. employee of the week or employee yeah. of the month. You just do it because it's the right thing to do, right? It's the right thing to do. Yeah. So that was step one. And then to build relationships, you're in a, an organization and maybe you're a little introverted to build. Oh, Anne Hathaway. Yes, Amy. Thank you. Um, and T Tina. Yeah. Such a good movie. I don't know why. I'm like, it's weird that I'm, I'm like a burly dude and I love that movie. I love that movie. So anyway, um, so the, uh, the other thing, building relationships, that's just about being a friend, trying to be a friend to the people who are around you. Don't, don't force yourself to not be, to come out of your shell. Mm. Force yourself to say hi to somebody or to ask their name or to make a comment or something. Force yourself out of it. You have to. I was naturally introverted growing up. I was a scared, introverted kid. Nobody would know that about me now because I'm way outgoing. But even now, going live on Instagram or doing stories, like I see these people who talk on their stories all the time, I struggle sometimes to do it. I'm a lot better if I have one of my boys there that I can tease. Then, I can, then I'm way more comfortable. But if it's just me with the camera, that's my toughest thing. And so... But I force myself out of it sometimes. And so that's, I think, one of the things you have to do. You have to look at it and say, my, my natural tendency is to be introverted. But today, I'm going to ask that person's name no matter what. I'm going to set a, a goal, and I'm doing that, and I'm going to force myself. Today, I'm going to ask this other person where they grew up. 
you know, come up with in advance, come up with your five or six questions and start a conversation and see what happens from it. Well, I, I love that because it's then becomes about them and then they feel important because they are yeah. important. And then yeah. it, it actually takes the pressure off of you because you can continue to ask them questions and it makes people feel loved. Yeah. Yeah. Appeal to people's egos is a great thing. I was on a coaching session yesterday and that's what he, that's what one of the guys that I work with said. He was like, it's the easiest way. Go and tell them how great they are. And people love to hear that. So that's, or, uh, or even if you don't know them, ask them where they're from, ask them yeah. something. It, it just shows interest. And I think that if you really are interested in other people, there are great stories just lying yeah. below that people oh, so, probably so wouldn't, great. wouldn't do that. So, yeah. All right, we're gonna go skip a whole bunch of questions. We'll just have to have a part two. But okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's see. Um, how do you recharge, and what inspires you? Um, I, I love this question on there. So the first thing I wrote down on my notes on this question was, okay, recharge. I'm gonna go, I'm going skiing this afternoon. I live in Salt Lake City. I'm 20 minutes from Sundance. That's where I have my season pass. I'm going skiing in three hours from now that's a recharge for me. But then I was like, you know what? That's not even really the, my recharge. That was like the recharge that I think I should say. For me, the recharge is working on stuff. Like I get, if I can, if I, honestly, if, if my wife is gone for a few hours, I'm like on a, on a Saturday night, I'm like, oh sweet. I get some guilt-free guilt-free work time. I'm going down in the basement. So for me, it's the work that, that mm -hmm. inspires me and motivates me and fuels me. I have so much that I want to do and get out of, of, from inside me. I just feel, and this is the way a lot of creative people feel. It's like, I've got this stuff in me and I got to get it out in expression of some kind. And that's how I feel. And so my biggest recharge is getting the time to go and crank for 10 hours on the stuff. I never tire from it. Mm -hmm. I take breaks here and there, but I'm like, my break is so I can go back and do it longer. So when you do a coaching, is that something that recharges you? Or is it more like alone getting your stuff out after a coaching? Oh, uh, the coaching is great for me too, because it's, it's like this. I get really energized by the interpersonal dialogue, the, the conversation. So that's, that's super, super recharging for me, coaching sessions. Sometimes I'll, I'll wake up in the morning and might have three sessions scheduled. And I, I, at first I think, oh, this is gonna be a long day. And then I'm two, three hours into my sessions and I'm like so energetic and motivated and just driven because of the stories and because of the systems I'm sharing and just helping people that interaction. I, I totally get recharged by that too. One thing I loved the other day, you were writing notes and you do write notes. And so mm -hmm. you're always getting ideas from things or pain points. You're, and I think that that's where if people are like, how the heck does he get his Instagram so yeah. content all the time, right? This is the last two weeks of coaching sessions. That's it. I, I cleaned it up before that, but it's page after page of notes. And, and yeah, some of them I write big on it so it doesn't have tons and tons of stuff on it because I'm like writing over here while I'm talking. But it's, it's taking notes and a lot of it does spawn ideas for, for content, for sure. All right. And then what inspires you? Uh, what inspires me? Um, travel, 
inspires me a lot. Uh, the world, like, like I mentioned earlier, these relationships, this is one of the things that I didn't foresee when I started on Instagram about 10 months ago. I didn't realize how special and uh, that would be to me to have people everywhere, literally everywhere in the world, it feels like that I've connected with people. And I love that. I mean, that is so inspiring to me. I was just on with somebody in Russia earlier today, and she was sending me pictures of the the district she lives in in Russia. It's not in Moscow or St. Petersburg. It's down by Georgia. And it was all these pictures of this of this place that she lives. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so fascinating to me. I just wanted to go there and I want to go here and I want to go here and I want to go here and I want to meet the people in this country. I, do, I genuinely believe that people are good all over the world. I love my friends in Iran. I love my friends in Pakistan. These are places that if you watch CNN enough, you're going to think that we're not friends with those countries. But the truth is, is that there are good, good people there. And they've become my friends through Instagram direct messages to the point where I care about them like I do the people that are living in my own home city. And so that to me is where I get just tons of inspiration. And then it, it motivates me to care to help to look at those people and say, you know what, if they have a question, I'm going to help them. They're, they're, they're in a challenging situation in their country. The economy in Iran is in bad shape. And if I can be some kind, some form of inspiration or help to them, super, super motivating to me. That's awesome. All right. So I'm going to share how people can get in touch with you. Obviously they can get in touch with you with LinkedIn and you did grow your LinkedIn from like 700 to Instagram. Big. Yeah. I mean, what did I say? LinkedIn. But Whatever. yes. I don't know. LinkedIn's <laughs> yeah. been on my mind lately. So LinkedIn sorry. is a Let's channel I need to do more. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yes. Back to Instagram. You yeah. grew from like 700 people. So really quick while I share these links in the yeah. chat and they will all be below and I'll okay. read them later. Can you give us like, you just set your mind. You said, nobody's, I'm going to make it up this mountain. Yeah, so I didn't ever expect it to go that big that fast. Uh, that was surprising to me. I gave a lecture in Moscow last year in March. And my lecture was at a digital marketing conference. And I talked about social media and how to break your content from long form content into short form content and share it on different channels. And I, I gave the whole strategy. And then I left that conference thinking, oh my gosh, I hardly have any followers on any channel it's time. And so I came back from that trip and thought, I've got to go and try to build a channel. And I started on YouTube and then quickly found that Instagram is what started to take off the fastest. So I went all in on Instagram because there wasn't a lot of thought leadership content on Instagram at the time. There's tons and tons now. But back then there were no major design thought leaders doing anything on Instagram. There were a few you know, budding thought leaders, but none of the big names were doing anything. And so I started, I thought this is a void, avoided market. There's nobody else here. This is one that I can start to go all in on and, and grow that. And so I just started sharing, I, I started by sharing like every other day. And then I started replying to comments. I didn't know what I was doing really on the engagement side of things. 
And then I started experimenting with different types of content and it just started growing. And then when it starts growing, it's like I'm getting to the marrow of the bone I like to chew and I'll just go even hard, more hardcore. And that's what I started doing. So it's just more and more and more. Now it's an addiction like, like everything else in my life. I'm addicted to the flow of that. I'm, I know as soon as this call's over, I'm going to reply to all my DMs that I've gotten in the last hour so that I don't get to 10 o'clock at night and have 50 people to reply to. I try and get some of it done during the day, but um, that's how it's come. I think it's come because of authenticity, mm -hmm. because of delivering content that you can't get anywhere else. I'm not sharing stuff from somebody else's book. I'm sharing my own thoughts, my own ideas from my own experience. Mm -hmm. So you can't get my content somewhere else. Now I do share a lot of design content now on my, I'm doing a design school series. So that's not my content. That's old school design fundamental stuff. It'd be hard to even figure out who owns some of those ideas. But anyway, a lot of my business related content is just authentic, real, personal content. I think it's grown from that. And then the engagement is what has been everything. I reply to every DM except for the Bitcoin people. I don't reply to them. The but everybody else, more? yeah, I reply to those people <laughs> I, and I don't correct them either. Uh, but it's, it's DMs and comments and I just really try and connect with people. Uh, and I think that that's had a big impact on, on people. That's awesome. Dim, Dimmy has a question. Dimmy's in London. He's Greek, but he's my friend in London. He's great with time management. But anyway, oh, so Dimmy says, are you happy with the Instagram carousel format? <laughs> Thank goodness I didn't say LinkedIn there. Or is it just the tool that does the job in the best way right now? Do you feel restricted by it? I, I sometimes feel restricted by 10 slides. And for me, it's eight slides because I have a title slide and my thank you slide on the end. So I try and cram sometimes, uh, you know, what could be a two-hour lecture into eight slides. And that's good for me because I can be long-winded. I can tell you stories and systems and I can just keep going for hours if, if I have a platform for that. So uh, it's been good. I do think that there is some carousel saturation happening, carousel fatigue, where now there's so many that it's mm -hmm. like, really, another one? Do we have to put one word on the first eight slides and then give you the description of what's really this content is on slide nine? Why don't we just post slide nine? That's right. my mindset. So. I'm not a fan of stretching it out. I haven't gone into the mindset of what some people do on carousels of just taking, you know, one idea and stretching it across 10 slides for the fun of it. If I have 10 slides, it's going to, at least eight of them are going to be pretty content dense slides. I, uh, so I do, th I think that I'm all about experimentation. So keep pushing different types of content. Keep, driving. I mean, I'm posting different types of videos. I'm posting different stuff on my stories now. Tom and I did a live stream this morning of the start of our BizBuds podcast, and we never didn't, had, had done that before. So just experimentation and see what happens and see what people like. I have found that with 114,000 followers, I'm way more authentic than I was with 5,000 followers. I'm way less fearful to share my own life and to be fun and jokey. I did my shave down. I had, was growing a beard and I shaved it down into mustache and goatee and all these different things and took a bunch of pictures and posted that. I never would have done that a hundred thousand followers ago because I was too afraid 
that people wouldn't like it or they wouldn't like the real me. Now I'm like, you know what? I, I'm trying to find the people who really like me and if they and really connect with me and they're never going to connect with me if I don't show the real me. And maybe I won't grow as fast, but the people who follow me are going to be the ones who really resonate deeply with me and the way that I think and the quirky stuff that I do. I love that. That's great advice to end on for sure. So um, I'm just going to read how people can get to you. And all these links are going to be underneath. So his Amazon links for Burn Your Portfolio and the Psychology of Graphic Design Pricing. And then you can always follow him on on Instagram, people. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you can follow him on LinkedIn too. Probably. More Janda on all channels. Okay. Yeah. And then michaeljanda.com is his yes. website. And mm-hmm. we can look for new things coming out. What What would be, so the BizBud podcast with Tom yes. is new. I have several courses in the works that I'm so excited about that uh, are going to be massively valuable to freelancers and small agency owners. I haven't announced those much yet. I've mentioned a couple times like this, but some serious, serious value coming in that. So More how would Instagram we, content. How would we stay top? Uh, how would we get, is there, can we go to your website and get a newsletter? Or yes, I have a write? newsletter form in the footer of my website, or if you download any of the free things that I have, it'll let you sign up to my newsletter list. Um, and then if you turn on notifications so that you see my posts, I will post whenever I have new content like that, I'll post into my feed so you can turn on notifications and you will, you'll see that for sure. Perfect. I think everybody's really enjoyed it. Mike, thanks so much. Well, it was so and- fun. I know. Well, hopefully you have a great day skiing this Thank after, you. This I will. Evening. And I just really appreciate your time. Thank you for thank doing you too, what Diane. you do thank to, you. Our, to our so industry. Fun. So thank you. You're welcome. So let's do it again sometime later this year when you need episode 400. I'm, I'm in. <laughs> okay, so you're in. Okay. <laughs> Bye, right. y'all. Bye. That was an incredible episode. He was amazing. Such a great heart. It's amazing how many things we can learn when we just come together and we learn from each other and are open. So I just wanted to encourage you guys to love on some designers this week. This week is for you to reach out and it would be great if you find somebody that you think is just doing amazing work and it doesn't matter how big their following is, right? Just that they're doing amazing work and I want you to reach out to them or share their work on your story or on Facebook or something and just lift them up or give them an encouragement and say, this is amazing. I think you're doing amazing stuff, but they just need encouragement because you never know where they are. So hashtag it love on designers. So then that's the way you enter. And then that way I know that you are, I'm give away a bunch of art supplies every year pens and pencils and art brushes and things like that. And so hopefully it's fun. It comes to you in March with some stickers and things like that and some cards so that you can love on some people in the old traditional way. You can always help to share this podcast by leaving a review and you could share it with your friends. And that's a great way to do it is on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast, Spotify, Um, Next week, we have Melinda Livesey on, and we, again, are talking about an entrepreneur who pivoted. Um, She has worked at some 
really big firms, um, big companies. She worked at Oakley as a designer, and now she's she's has has a course that was really successful, and now she's doing her own thing and she's doing a ton of brand strategy and then teaching other people about brand strategy. And she's really open about sharing this as well. So I'm really excited. So hopefully you'll come back. You can join us live every week. If you go to rechargingyou.com slash sign up, you're able to come in live and I send you a link that day and you can chat. You can ask questions while I'm asking questions and I make sure that I get those questions answered. So you can become a patron even for a dollar a month. It helps support the channel and we do challenges. There are other things that we do just as a patron. There's extra part twos that we do on there as well. And you can get to that at patreon.com slash Diane Gibbs. My favorite way it, to build website is through Elementor. I talk about it all the time. There's a free plugin called Elementor and it makes almost any WordPress theme invincible. It's really helped when I get the pro version. And with that pro version, I've been able to, I mean, it's really not that expensive. It was $250 when I bought it. It's, I buy it every year and then I can put it on as many websites as I need. And it gives me a lot more functionality. And so if you're ready to buy it, you can click this link, bit.ly, bit.ly slash capital D, capital R, and then Elementor. And then Timely is the app that I use on my computer because I'm terrible at tracking my time or doing that. And that's really how we make a living. We have to um, bill and I have to know how to make my systems better. And the only way I can do that is if I track things, if things are taking me too long or whatever. So Timely allows me to go back and I see it and you can color code it and you can see where things are going into um, uh, future revenues, uh, revenue tomorrow, my friend Demi calls it. Um, and maybe I'm spending not enough time there or I'm spending too much time there or whatever, right? So it's a really great way. Um, it, you can track it on your computer or your phone. I like that it does it on both. Um, I love the stalking option. They do not call it the stalking option. They call it the memory option, but it remembers where I've been and how much time I was on InDesign and what project. They'll, it'll even tell me what project I was working on. So and that's really helpful to me. And it also tells me what websites I was on, if I was doing research or whatever. So this, um, it remembers for you, for me, so that I don't have to. And when you sign up via, for Timely, via this link, the bit.ly, bit.ly slash drtimely, all lowercase on this one, um, you can, you're able to try Timely for 14 days before you have to activate your subscription. And if you so that you can make sure that Timely is right for you. Um, Audible is the other thing that has changed my life and my business. I listen to more books than I physically read nowadays. Usually I've been listening to them a little bit faster than what they were recorded at. I'm a 1.25 girl. And the book that I'm reading now is really revolutionizing the way that I'm thinking. And it's called The Power of Consistency by Weldon Scott, I think. It's Weldon something or Scott Weldon or I think his name's, I don't know. Anyway, power of consistency. It has a whole bunch of type across the, like repeated consistently across the front of the cover. It's like gold and blue or, or yellow and blue, whatever. Um, but check it out. It's a great book and I'm in a book club and that book is due next week. So I got to have it finished. So hopefully by the time you're listening to this, I will have finished that book. But if you want to try Audible, you can get a free audiobook download and a 30 day free trial. And it's um, if you go to audibletrial.com slash design recharge. And let me just tell you, 
the monthly fee is $14.99. I can't buy a book for $14.99. I mean, they're always more, $24, $30, So I'm saving money and I'm learning. Oh, just so you know, these are affiliate links. That means I get a piece of the pie, but your price does not go up at all, just so you know. Um, and we'll see you next week with Melinda Livesey. And I hope you love on some designers this week. And because you never know what your words right then and your encouragement could do for somebody today because you have no idea where they are. So just love, 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 love ferociously. See you next week.